Okay. Praise the Lord. I'll just draw attention to Azar 48 verse 6. It says, you have heard these things. You have heard these things. Look at them all. Will you not admit them? From now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. They are created now and not long ago. You have not heard of them before today. So you cannot say yes and knew of them. This tells us that God is a God of mystery. God always wants to reveal new things to us on a daily basis. Now, I don't know when the Bible was written. It was written maybe thousands of years ago. It was now then. But today is our own now. Tomorrow will be another person's now. If this earth is going to stand for about another thousand years, it's going to be the now for that generation. So God is a God of mystery. He says that how will God minister mystery to us is when we call upon his name. Jeremiah 33 verse 3, call upon me and I will show you great and hidden things or mighty things that you've never known. Also it confirms in the book of Amos 3 7 that God will not do anything until he reveal a secret to his servant, the prophet. Deuteronomy 29:29. He says that God is the one that he, his secret things belongs to him, but things revealed belongs to us and our children forever. So God is always in the, in the midst of just revealing mystery, only if we can seek him. And also pray, I want us to really have it behind our mind that no matter what we are going through, there is always a solution. But only if we can have the habit or have the discipline to seek his face. The more we seek his face, the more his mysteries are being made known to us now. Not things that he has revealed before. But he always have new revelation that he will reveal to us on a daily basis. But guess what? The new revelation also needs to agree with his word. You can't have, it's like what our Father in the Lord has always been teaching us. You can't have a, a revelation that is outside the word of God. It must, back, it must have a biblical backup from the word. But God, let's know behind our mind that God is a mysterious God. He's a God of mystery, but he will reveal his mystery to those who care to seek him. And I pray that the Lord will embrace us to seek his face. So before, let's go quickly to Isaiah 49. Now, Isaiah 49 is more or less a continuation of Isaiah 42. When we read the book of Isaiah 42, it talked about the servant of the Lord. And historians record that when he, this servant of the Lord is referred to either Isaiah or is referred to Jesus himself. When I was reading through it, it looks as if he was referring to Isaiah. But we all know that we all are servants of the Lord. Who are the servants of the Lord? Those who serve God. Those who make God their priority. Those who have given their life to Jesus. Who have made Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life. Those are the servants of the Lord. Those who have made Jesus their number one. Who serve God in spirit and in truth. Those are the servants of the Lord. Isaiah 49 is divided into two sessions. It talks about from 
chapter 1 to 8 and to the end, it talks about the servant of the Lord. But from 8 to, let me see. think it's from to 16 i think talks about the restoration of israel and then from 17 to the end now talked about the promises of the church or the promise of zion so if we look at chapter one uh, verse one of that chapter he said listen to me you islands hear this you distant nations before i was born the lord called me from my mother's womb he has spoken my name and this was Isaiah. i can reckon that it was Isaiah saying that before he was born god called him it's more or less like what jeremiah said also or what was written concerning jeremiah in chapter one Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 verse 5 said before I formed you in my womb I knew you before you were born I set you apart I appointed you as a prophet to the nation so none of us are a mistake when we were woven in our mother's womb he knew us he knew our calling he knew our mandates none of us are insignificant Every child of God have an assignment to have an assignment to offer on this earth. And God says in his word here, he said, Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb he has spoken my name. So he knew Isaiah's name. He knew he's going to be called Isaiah. So it was Jesus. Jesus was not just named by his parents. But before the, when the angel came to Mary, he was, she was given the name Jesus, that you will bore his son and you will call his name Jesus. How is that related to us? For those of us who are still procreating or we are bringing forth children, we should learn from these heroes of the past. Because before they were born, God named them. God named Isaiah, God named Jeremiah, God named John the Baptist. So, every child has a mandate. And the name that you call your child will indicate what mandate that child will do. So, if you call your child a wrong name, guess what? It could be that they will not fulfill the mandate that God has in store for them. Jesus means Savior. No wonder. He came to save the world. And up till now, the name of Jesus still brings salvation to mankind. So, because of time, I want us to write this scripture down. Just to confirm all other men or heroes of the Bible that God called them from their mother's womb. If we look at uh, uh, Galatians chapter 1 verse 15, it talks about Paul. Paul recorded how... God set him apart from his mother's womb and called him by his grace. Also, King David mentioned his own in Psalm 22, verse 10. How from birth God was, God called him from his mother's womb, and he has been his God ever since. 
And also to us, Isaiah 44 verse 24 says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who formed you in your mother's womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretch out the heavens and who spread out the earth by myself. So God has set us apart from our mother's womb. And he has called us. We have a holy calling. We have a unique calling. If you don't know your calling, it's not too late. You can always ask God. Because that's the only time we can be fulfilled on this earth. If we live the, our whole life not fulfilling our calling, then it's a waste of space and it's a waste of life. God doesn't want us to waste life. God doesn't want us to live an unproductive life or an unfruitful life. The only time we can be productive and fruitful is when we find out what the calling of God is for us and we fulfill it. So God is saying that from our mother's womb, he has called us and he has called our name. Verse 2 says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in the quaver, in his quaver. That's to tell us that we are God's weapon of war. He says, He has made our mouth like a sharpened sword. In the book of Ezekiel, Jeremiah 51, verse 20, he says, You are my war club, or my weapon of war, my weapon for battle. With you, I shatter nations. With you, I destroy kingdoms. When God gave us our mouth, you know, some, so I heard someone who said that, well, I'm, I'm born again, but my mouth is not born again. I found that, I found that so funny. Because your mouth, your eyes, your ears, they are all born again. Once you are born again, the Spirit of God takes you over. He gives you a new tongue. Isaiah had that experience when he went into the presence of the Lord when he was about to be commissioned. He was a man with an unclean lips, but God changed his tongue. So when you become born again, God now gives you a new tongue. He gives you an authority. He placed an authority in your tongue. So that's why we cannot use this tongue to curse. We cannot use this tongue to speak foul language or swear. Our tongue carries power. Our tongue is a weapon. And God says that he has made our tongue like a sharpened sword. So our, our tongue carries authority. Isaiah 41 verse 15 says, See, I will make you into a treasure sledge, new and sharp with many teeth. You will stretch the mountain and crush them and reduce the hill to shaft. Thank God for intercessors yesterday who used their mouth to destroy the works of the voodoo power in India. Who used their mouth to speak against the works of Satan. So, our mouth, we need to guard it. We need to polish it so that it becomes sharper. How do you polish your the mouth? By the word. The more of your word, the more of the word of God that you study, that you embedded, that you speak forth, that you live by, the more your authority will be sharper. So, God has given us the tongue as our weapon for his own glory, not as a workshop for Satan. This mouth is not for gossiping. It's not for slander. It is to praise. It is to bless. It is to worship. It is to war. 
So God has given us that tongue of a learned. Amen. Verse 3 says, He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. So God's servant is to display the splendor of God. What is displaying God's splendor? Displaying His glory. God wants to show us off. God wants, whenever we are moving or walking or wherever we find ourselves, God wants to be able to tell us as he, tell, as he told Jesus, these are my servants, these are my daughters, these are my sons, in whom I were pleased. When I was reading this scripture, what came to mind was the book of First Peter 2.9. It says, we are royal priesthood. We are holy nation. We are peculiar people. People that he has called out of darkness into his marvelous kingdom of light. Why did he call us? To show forth the praises of God. God wants to show forth his praises. God wants to see, God wants us to be his praise, to his praise. He wants us to be a carrier of his glory. So when we begin to talk like God, we are carrying his glory. When in the midst of our trials, we are still praising God, and we are not talking God down, and we are not saying that, God, where are you? And you are far away from me. Then, and we are still praising God, that God, even in the midst of trial, even when you slay me, I will still praise you. We are showing for the praises of God. God wants us to display his glory, because we are his servant. The servant of God display God's glory. But I said, I have labored in vain. Do you see? That is when flesh kicked in. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. If we go to the book of Psalm 73, I will quickly read that. We should, when we are pushed to the wall, it is easy for us to open to the whisper of the devil, telling us lies that God has forgotten you. Maybe you have been seeking God for different things in your life. It could be for health, it could be for marital issues, it could be for spiritual issues, it could be business-wise, it could be finance-wise, and it is far-fetched from you. It is easy for Satan to creep in and say that, look, you is because of the sin. God has forgotten you. You are not God's favorite. These are whispers from the pit of hell. But there is a man, there was a man in the book of Psalm 73, I think it was Asaph or so. Verse 13 says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning bring new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I try to understand all this, I... It troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destination. The more of you going into the presence of God, the more that you will know the reality of life. The more you will know that God deeply loves you. It is only when we are one leg in, one leg out. We only pray whenever it's convenient. We only worship. Worship is not a lifestyle. Prayer is not a lifestyle. It is only when we are pushed to the wall. That is when we are prompted to pray. That is when all these thoughts come to your mind. But if you are someone who dwells daily in the presence of God, you will know without a shadow of a doubt that you are God's beloved. You will know without a shadow of a doubt that your seeking is not in vain. So the more of the servant of the Lord dwelling in his presence, 
The servant of the Lord is a prisoner of God. Servant, we call them servant. They are prisoners of God. They are, God, they are just at God's service. Servant of God, they are at God's service. So God needs them at any hour, they are available. They are not servants that give excuses. And when God needs them, they are trying to give God excuses. No. So the more of your, the presence of God that you cultivate, the more you will know that your labor is not in vain. And guess what? There's a promise for us also in the book of Galatians 6, 9. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap an harvest if we do not give up. So those of us who are coming here every day to seek the face of the Lord, don't think that you are just because you have, you have enough time or you are not busy. That is why you are coming here. No, it's not in vain. You are here because you want to lift up the hands of the man of God. When, when he's doing exploits in Berlin, in India, and uttermost part of the earth, and all the, the, the testimony is coming in-house, those of us who seek the face of the Lord, who call upon him day and night, and we are lifting him up in prayer, we will say, yes, we have hand in it. Even though we may not follow him to all these places, but we know that day and night we saw the face of the Lord, we lift up the hands of the man and the woman of God. So that when the testimony keep running in, you will know that yes, you are part of it. So don't let, don't be, don't be, don't let that or the fact that you are coming to the house and it looks as if there are just a few of you, don't let that, don't be, don't be discouraged by that because your labor is not in vain. Amen. Verse 5 said, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in, my womb, in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. This, is the, this was the mandate of Isaiah. And gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the sight, in the eyes of the Lord. And my God has been my strength. So this was his mandate. The mandate that he received from his mother's womb was to bring back Jacob and gather Israel to himself. To gather God's own chosen race to himself. What is the mandate that God has given to us in-house? God also gave mandate to Jesus. Jesus had a mandate. His mandate is to... Bring in the lost. His mandate is to save the world, to save sinners. If we go to the book of Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, it says, She will give birth to a son. This was the promise that the angel told Mary. And you will give to him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. That was Jesus' mandate. Luke 2.32 also says, A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That was the mandate of Jesus. What was John the Baptist's mandate? He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord his God. Luke 1.16 So are we, we also have a mandate. What is God's mandate for us? Matthew 28, we all know it. 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That was the mandate that God has given us. So when God called us from our mother's womb 
and he gave us a holy and a unique call. That was the call he's given us. Regardless of any ministry you may have, the core of the ministry is that you should go out and make disciples of all men. Some said, I'm called to encourage the married. It's good. I'm called to encourage the youth. I'm a youth worker. It's still part of it is still to bring disciples to the knowledge of Christ. So this is the general commission that we are given as children of God. So if Isaiah was able to fulfill his own mandate, we have to fulfill our mandate. But also he said that for I am, he said to bring Jacob back to himself and gather Israel to him, to, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my strength and have and God has been my strength. So it is by God's strength that we are able to carry out our mandate, not by our own ability. Verse 8 says, he says, it is too small for if it is too small a thing that you to be my servants to restore the tribe of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And that agrees with us. When we go out there as Christians, we are supposed to shine the light. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says, We are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So we cannot afford to live our life like the world lives. We need to illuminate the light. We cannot shine in the church because the church is filled in light. We need to shine in in the in darkness and people who are in darkness are out there we mingle with them they are our colleagues at work they are our neighbors so we need to shine as lights people should not doubt our salvation if we are if our attitude is the same as people in the world then we are not shining as lights so part of our mandate is to bring the light of Christ to this dark world and the only way we can do that is when we are the servant of the Lord and we are really serving him in spirit and in truth. So we now move to the restoration of Israel in verse 8. This is what the Lord says. In a time of my favor, I will answer you. We pray this prayer. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant to the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance. There is always an appointed time for God's favor. God's favor attracts answers to prayers. We know as a church that this is our season for God's divine favor. And God says, in the days of favor, I will answer you. So God will not answer someone who just keep their legs crossed and their hands folded. For God to answer, then you must have called upon him. So in the days of favor, even though we are living under the season of favor, that should stir up our heart to call upon his name. That should stir up our heart to seek his face. So God says that in this season, and I knew that even when we started this in January, Apostle said that if there is a year that we've ever saw God's face, this is the year we should. This is the year that every impossible will become possible. Things that we have been seeking God for that takes ages. God says that within this season, because it's our season of favor, before we call, God will answer. 
So God says, in the time of favor, I will answer you. So that means that he's called for prayer. God is calling us. There's a trumpet call for prayer. So this is not the time for us to sit down. This is not the time for us to be at ease in Zion. This is the time for us to rise up and seek God's face. And God says, when we seek him in this season of favor, he will answer us. And he said, in the day of salvation, we go hand in hand. He will help us. God is willing to help his people. He says, I look up to the hills on where cometh our help, our help coming from the Lord. God promised that he will help us. He said, we should not give in to fear. He will help us. So this is not the time for us to give in to fear. Let's, let's hold on to God's promise. He also said that he will keep us and he will preserve us. He says that he will make us a covenant to the people. So that means we are covenanted people. We are not just ordinary. And that's why we should not live ordinary. Every one of us who have children, our children are covenanted children. It's like you look at Ishmael, you look at Israel or Isaac. Isaac was covenanted. Ishmael is the, is the son of the born woman. But Isaac was the son of the free woman. So he was a covenant child. And that is why a covenant child have a different lifestyle. They have a godly lifestyle. They cannot afford to act like other children. They are different. Because they have God's covenant on them. So God says he will make us a covenant to the people. That means that when we are out there, we should be like the children of Israel who are always set apart. Remember about the spell? Because they are set, they don't, they live different, they live apart. When they now stain their garments with the Moabites, that is when the plague of the, of the world came upon them. But as long as they are still under that covenant, as long as they still act the covenant lifestyle, they are covered. So we as children of God, we should not see ourselves as the common men or women. We are covenant children of God. And because we have a covenant God and we have a covenant life, then we need to have a covenant lifestyle. We should not, we should not live like people of the world. God wants us to be set apart because that is who we are. And he said he will restore the land. He will restore the land and to reassign his desolate inheritance. This was promised to the Israelites. Then the Israelites enter into rebellion and disobedience. Their, li- their land became desolate. Their land became ruined. But when they returned back to the Lord, God now reassigned them back and rebuilt their land. How does that relate to us in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 25? It says, I will repay you. For the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts. So God is a God of restoration. God wants to restore back our joy. He wants to restore back our health, our peace, our strength, our zeal. He wants to restore prosperity and hope to our lives. So when we as the servants of the Lord, we are talking about restoration of Israel. So when we go astray and we come back to the Lord with a humble heart, God will restore everything that we have ever lost. He is a God of restoration. And he said to say to the captives, come out. And to those in darkness, be free. That's what God can do. That's what God wants to do. And that is the authority he has given to us also. To say to the captive to be free. To say to those in darkness to come out. 
God says in the book of Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bind in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. There is authority in the mouth of the servant of the Lord. When your authority is not sharp enough or your authority is watered down, it's because you need to check yourself. Are you truly a servant of God? A servant of God will not talk anyhow. A servant of God knows when to talk and when to keep quiet. A servant of God is wise. A servant of God is never foolish. A servant of God knows who he must keep company with or who she must keep company with. So, a servant of God has the authority to set the captive free. Isaiah 61 tells us about the mandate of Jesus, which we too can refer to ourselves. The the Spirit of God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. So, any servant of the Lord who carry God's mandate and live as covenanted men and women of God, we have God's authority on our lips. So, we can say to the captive, come out. And we can say to those in darkness, be free. So if we, some of us are having troubles with our family members and we have been praying, keep on praying because you have the authority of God in your lips. One day, one day, the power of the word will change them. Amen. So he said, they will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren land. I love this scripture. These are all the scriptures that we pray about. In another, in another version, it says that they will sow by the streams of living water. That means that God will always create a place of opportunity for every one of us, for the servant of the Lord. There will always be a place of opportunity. God will make provision for us. God will, make, God will protect us. We bring us to a place of fruitfulness. It is God's will for the servant of the Lord to be fruitful. Psalm 1 tells us that. Say, blessed are those. So we all know what Psalm 1. What does it say? Psalm 1 says, Psalm 1 to 3, 1, chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Blessed is the man. Yeah. No, stand in the ways of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the word of the Lord. And in the word of the Lord they meditate day and night. They will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth their fruit in their season. And whatever they lay their hands upon, they will prosper. So, a child of God, which is a servant of the Lord, every place that they go through is a place of fruitfulness. He said, he will lead us by the pastures on every barren land. He said, they will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the dry beats or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. So, the servant of the Lord can never go hungry. David said, I was young, but now I'm old. I've never seen a righteous man forsaken, neither his children begging for bread. I love the scripture. In the book of, um, in the book of Isaiah 65, verse 
13 to 14 says, Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, My servant, you see my servant, it's not for everybody, it's just for the servant of the Lord. My servant will eat, but you will go hungry. So those who are not servants of the Lord will go hungry. My servant will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servant will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servant will sing out of the joy of their heart, but you will cry out from the anguish of heart and will in brokenness of spirit. These are the disobedient. May we not be the disobedient. May the Lord make us continually make us the servant of the Lord so that we will enjoy these benefits. So a benefit that we have is that we can never grow thirsty. We can never grow thirsty of the power of God, of the grace of God, of the strength of God. We can never go thirsty, both of the physical, the spiritual, and the mental. We can never get thirsty of knowledge, of wisdom, of intelligence. Everything that we need is made available for the servant of the Lord. God will make sure that the servant of the Lord is happy. That's why he said that the servant of the Lord will continually rejoice while those who are disobedient will be in anguish. So if we make up our mind that we want to be the servant of the Lord... Welcome to that avenue of opportunity, of blessing. God wants to bless us. God wants us to rejoice at all times. Verse 11 says, I will turn all my mountains into roads, and my highway will be raised up. These are, op- these are impossible things that God said he will make possible in our life. And the Bible says that for no, it says that, with God, all things are possible. He says, see, they will come from afar, some from the north and some from the west, some from the region of Aswa. When I checked that Aswa, it, talks about, it's, it refers to China, it talks about. And I was just wondering, why China? I'll tell you, China has been, it's been a blessed country because China is the most is one of the most persecuted countries that people cannot even read the Bible openly, but there is great revival going in the land. Compared to a place where we are free to read the Bible, but in, in China, people are getting saved in their thousands underground. The power of revival. So God is saying that He will bring all our children from the north, from the south. And that confirms Isaiah 43, verse 6. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. When God brings restoration, he will bring revival. Revival to the land. We have been praying. Don't think that our prayers have been in vain because this is one of our prominent uh, scriptures that we will pray that God you have made you brought us to this big edifice not just for a handful of us but that we will fill the place and there have been revelations of people having dream 
that people are coming in and it's like there's no space for them to sit down. Don't think that those dreams, God just wants to flash it to our eyes. No, he's, he reveals it to bring it to pass. But the more we are committed to praying it, the more we'll begin to see the manifestation. So our sons and our daughters, we come from afar. Verse 13, shout for joy, ye heavens. Rejoice, you have. Burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted one. Our God is a God of all comforts. He always comforts the comfortless. We don't know what you are going through, but our God keeps his promise forever. You know, when he talks about, he said, shout for joy, you heaven, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains, and the afflicted ones. Who are many of us are afflicted? God says that a time is coming when we begin to burst for joy. Because God will never leave you in your affliction. He will always look upon you with compassion. Our God's nature is compassion. His nature is comfort. So he will comfort the comfortless and he will release compassion to those who need it. Promise to Zion from verse 14. Now, what is the promise to Zion? When we talk about Zion, we are referring to the church. We are referring to believers. God's promise to the believers. God's promise to the church. From verse 14, he said, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can you imagine? We should not come to a place in our life or in our trials, like I said earlier, and say that God has forgotten. God cannot forget his own. Because we and God, we are inseparable. God cannot forget himself. So if God cannot forget himself, he cannot forget us. The scripture says that we are hidden in Christ in God. So anytime God moves, he sees us there. And as we're going to see it in the, in the next verse. Let me quickly read that. He said, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Now he's talking about the natural, so that we can understand where he is now, what he's implying. And have no compassion on the child she has born. We, the mothers, will understand this. For those who carry children for nine months in their womb, when you are breastfeeding your child, you can't forget your child, because you know what you went through for nine months. So God is now using the natural to describe the spiritual so that we can understand that if we, mothers, who our children was attached to us in the womb, we cannot forget our child when they suck. He said, though she may forget. Now he's not talking about those who have problems because some people do have, uh, is it postnatal depression? <laughs> Doctors <laughs> in the house or nurses. Postnatal depression is a, is a terrible thing. Because some, in the process, they can even kill the child. It is, a, it is a terrible thing. So God is saying that, yes, a child, you, you, you are so much attached to your child. Those mothers who are in their right senses, they will not forget the child by not giving them the sock. But if you forget because of maybe mental issues... Then, say, I, God, will not, because God will never forget his own. He is a God indeed. He said, see, I have engraved, and this is the reason why he's not going to forget us in verse 16. See, I have engraved you 
on the palm of my hands. I tell you, if there is a scripture that I derive comfort, is that. On the palm. And that's to show us also that God has the same features that we have. If he can create the eyes, then he has eyes. If he can create the hands, he has hands. And from the testimony of our Father and the Lord, we know that, yes, God has hands. Because apostle was placed on the palm. So I don't need to repeat that because we hear it every time. And every one of us can actually say it because he repeats it every time. So God says that each time he look at the palm of his hands, he sees us there. So he can never forget us. We are inseparable. Each time God moves, He sees us there. He sees your cry. He sees your anguish. He sees your tears. He sees your weakness, your trials, your affliction, your pain. All your walls, He said, they are before me. He said, your walls are ever before me. So God, another version, says that God has painted a picture of us. In the palm of his hands. But I just want you to know that each time God sees his hands, he sees you there. So he can never forget you. So every second, God's hands is stretched out. And he looks at his palm and he sees you. So we can never be forgotten. Let's not allow the enemy to whisper lies into our spirit to say that we are forgotten. We can never be forgotten. Everything about us is before God. Your trials is before God. And God says, your walls are surrounds me. All those prayers you pray, don't think they are in vain. God sees you when you pray. God sees you when you worship him. Even when, you, when the circumstances around you do not say that that should be the case. The circumstances around you are saying grumble, complain. But you are praising God, you are worshiping God. God sees God says, and he will reward in due time. In verse 17, he says, Your children hasten back. All our children will haste back. All the youths, all our men, women who are far from the Lord, they will come back. He said, Your children hasten back. And said, Those who laid you waste depart from you. That's among one of the apostles' prayer requests. That he pray for us all the time. All those waste, life wasters, those destiny destroyers, destiny killers. The Bible says that they will depart from you. So those are a prayer point that we need to pray for ourselves. And not just pray for ourselves. If we found out that there's some people or maybe a friendship you are keeping that is wasting your life, you don't need to pray it. You just need to say that you are a time waster. You are killing me. I just depart from you. You don't need to pray it. But for those who you know are they are destiny killers for maybe your children that you are not aware of, you can start praying them. That those who lay my children waste, let them begin to depart from them right now in Jesus' name. Verse 18 says, Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride 
So God will so much restore our sons and our daughters and men and women, sons and daughters of this house, in such a way that they will bring glory and dignity to you. Because that's what he says. When ornaments, what is ornament for? It's to beautify whoever wears it. It's to honor them. It's to make them glamorous. So by the time God will return those who are gone astray, maybe someone who have rebelled, and you are praying for them to come back, they will come back in a dignified way. They will come back in an honorable way, better than how they left. That's what God wants to do. That's what God can do. Verse 19 says, Though you were ruined and made desolate, and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people. And those who defraud you, or devoured you, will be far away. And one of the scriptures that God gave me in this is uh, Isaiah 54. Let me read it to 21 so that you can have a good understanding. It said, The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, This place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your heart, Who bore me this? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought this up? I was left alone. But this, where have they come from? You can see how when God restores, He always restores in a, in a magnificent way. The restoration is so great beyond your understanding. Isaiah 55, uh, 54 verse 1 says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. This should encourage those of us who are trusting God for one thing or the other. Delay is not denial. And even though you may tarry for a long time, as the scripture says, sorrow, sorrow may endure for a night, but joy always comes in the morning. When God will now repay you, or when God answer you, it is always, always beyond your imagination. It's not something you can imagine. You know, sometimes we are seeking God, and in our imagination, we are just saying that, God, just do it this for me. Just give me a little small business. Just give me a little warehouse. Just give me a little house. Just small. Just more. Just want to feed my children, to accommodate my family. But when God will now answer you, He will answer you in such a way that it will feed a palace. It will be like a form of a palace. He will give you like, He will now make you that you have been trusting God for a managerial job. He will now give you a PLC. It's just the way He answers is not the way we can imagine. That is why Paul says, unto the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ever ask or think or imagine his ways are higher than our ways his thoughts are higher than our thoughts because we are not god we are just human beings god god wants to differentiate between god and man so the way god thinks is not the way you think so no matter how big your dream is, it cannot be compared to how big our god is and it cannot be compared to how big his plan for you so, God is a God of mystery. 
Verse 22 says, this is, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. That is what we are praying for. So this is a prayer point for us. If we are praying for God to release our sons and our daughters, let's ask that God will beckon to the nations to release souls to the kingdom of God. 23 says, Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. So God will make those in authority to submit to us. You know, we have been asking that God release men from, from 10 Downing Street, from the house of lords, and from the queen, and all those stuff. God says that he will place those authority beneath us. So when this is done, it's only going to be by him. He's not going to do it in such a way that we will think it's by our power. And that is why he says that, that then you will know that I am the Lord. So God will do certain things in our life in such a way that we will know that it's only God who can do it. No man can. It's not by our status, it's not by our riches, it's not by our prestige, it's not by our wealth, it is not by our intelligence, but by God himself. And the last verse of it said, those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. I want to pray that we will all continue to hope in God. We will continue to trust Him. We will continue to rely on Him. The Psalm 125 says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. So if I will put our trust in the Lord, if we hope in the Lord, no circumstance can sweep us off our feet. Nothing will be able to move us. The Bible says those who trust in the Lord will endure forever. So let's learn to trust in the Lord because God never disappoints his own. 24 says, can, a, can plunder be taken from warrior or captives be rescued from the fears? He's asking a question. But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from the warrior and plunder retrieved from the fears. And I will contend with those who contend with you. And your children are we saved. This is our confidence. Our confidence is that God will fight for us. God will fight for us. We don't need to fight for ourselves. The Bible says the battle belongs to him. But victory belongs to us. You cannot help God by saying you want to fight. If you want to fight, then God will hands up then the victory will be just limited. But when God says, let me fight for you, let me fight for you means that I am retrieving, I'm just backing off. Backing off doesn't mean that you refuse to pray. You pray, but you don't doubt your prayer by complaining and be worrying. Worrying and prayer doesn't go hand in hand. (laughs) There's a saying that, why pray if you can worry? Or why worry if you can pray? And also, why pray if you can worry? Yeah? So you have to choose one. Because if you can worry, then don't bother praying. 
prayer and worry doesn't go hand in hand. If you pray and you worry, then you are telling God that, God, I do not trust you enough to fight this battle. I can handle it on my own. And guess what? God will back it up. God will back up and allow you to do it yourself. So our best bet is just leave it to God. I love the book of Psalm 131. I think I think it's 131. It's a short verse. Psalm 131. Let's quickly go there, please. It's not part of what I've recorded that, but that just flashed into my mind now. Psalm one three one. My heart is not proud. So when we tend to when we are worrying, there's a thin line between pride and humility. When we worry, we are proud. My heart is not proud, O oh Lord. My eyes are not haunty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Go on. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a wind child. This is a, this is a picture of someone who trusts God, who hopes in God. I have stilled and quieted my soul like a wind child. A child, don't worry. They don't worry. They, all they know is that once I cry, I need my food. How that food is going to get to them, they don't know. They don't care about recession. They don't care about, oh, maybe we are not able. Oh, my mother has not been working. My father has not been working. As long as they, what they know is that food, I must get my food. So I am stilled. I have been stilled and quieted my soul. Like a wind child with his mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. And you know forevermore is forevermore. Forevermore means till eternity. Forevermore means till death. Till we are no more. So let's learn to trust God. When worry creep our minds or creep our hearts, what we should say, God, God, I refuse to worry. I refuse to fear. My trust is in you, O God. My hope is in you, O God. I know you will take me through, and I know I'm going to come out glorious. I'm going to come out victorious because you have a better plan for me. So God wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust him. And he says, finally, 26, I will make your precious heat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own own blood as with wine then all mankind will know that i the lord am your savior your redeemer the mighty one of jacob you know god wants to brag he wants to brag of his power god is our savior is our redeemer and is a mighty man of war he's our mighty one and god is saying that he will answer our oppressors I don't know what has been oppressing us. Any, every one of us has issues that we are confronting with. And those issues are raising up their ugly head and say that, look, this issue will overcome you. No, it cannot overcome you. Because you've overcome the world and everything that is in the world. You've overcome sorrow. You've overcome pain. You've overcome ill health. You've overcome poverty. You've overcome failure. Everything. All these things that are in the world cannot overcome you. So, and just to buttress that scripture, that verse, last verse, Proverbs 26, 27 says, Whoever dig a pit will fall into it. If someone roll a stone, it will roll back on you. So, Fear not. Anyone that wage war against the servant of the Lord will end up waging war against themselves. No one can 
fall or no one, no weapon forged against a servant of the Lord will prevail. God will make sure that that weapon is refuted, as the scripture said, and destroyed. So all this that we have said is about the benefit of being the servant of the Lord. So the key point there is that let's learn to be the servant of the Lord. Let's learn to serve God in spirit and in truth. A servant of the Lord, have, they don't have their own agenda. They only have the agenda that God gives them. They are submitting to the Father, to the core. When God needs them, they are available. If God wants to send them on an errand, they don't give God excuses. They are there to serve God. And to serve God is to obey His word. They never rebel against His word. They don't have a law carved out for themselves. But they submit to the law of the Lord, they are God. So, servant of the Lord, we want to enjoy all these benefits. Let's be a servant of the Lord forever. So that that scripture in the book of um, Azar 65 that I read, the servant of the Lord will rejoice. The servant of the Lord will not be hungry. The servant of the Lord will not feel thirsty. The servant of the Lord will be at peace. Those are our portion in Jesus' name. Amen.